Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Well, anyone interested in health and fitness and businesses in that sector, well, this is a great podcast for you to listen to. We'll speak with the head of Dolly's Gym. It's a gym that targets Muslim women, providing them with a safe space to work out. I'll also speak with Dinny Morris. He's a personal trainer. So we'll talk to him about how to set up your own personal training business. And we'll talk with Michael Clem, the former Olympic swimmer, about how he transitioned from the pool into the world of business. All of that and more on this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Breaking barriers, the boot camp keeping the faithful fighting fit, obstacle obsession, the small businesses tapping into a new training trend, and doctor on demand, the connected home medical kit made by two Melbourne medical students. I don't think I would say I left medicine, I'm still kind of in medicine, just doing it in a slightly different way. Hello, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to Small Business Secrets. Also coming up on the program, we speak with Olympic champion Michael Klim about why business success is sometimes about letting go. But first, did you know, keeping Aussies fit and healthy is big business, with 3.3 million Australians using a professional exercise service. There are more than 3,000 gyms and fitness centres across the country employing 18,000 people and generating a billion dollars of revenue each year. The sector is expected to grow by 5% over the next five years. Three years ago, Dalal Karahassan saw a gap in the fitness market. Post-Eid overindulgence had many of her friends complaining about their weight and fitness, but there weren't many places where Muslim women could comfortably exercise. So she started Dolly's Boot Camp as Sana Kadar reports. Dalal Kara Hassan, or Dolly, knows a thing or two about willpower. Keep going, girls. You're almost there. You're almost there. Go. Push. It was only seven years ago that her parents first allowed her to attend a gym. Basically, I was desperate to start training or go to a gym. I was engaged at the time. It was close to when I was going to get married, so you, know, you have to have the perfect body. I begged my dad to allow me to go to the gym. He allowed me to go to the gym when I was 19. I went in and I started tearing it up. I had people coming, lining up behind me and just copying what I'll do. If I walk to the bike, they'll follow me to the bike. And I was looking at them like, what are these doing? I should be following them. They're older than me. They if you're not doing box jumps, ladies, we're going for 25 step-ups. Pump it up, pump it up, pump it up. Doing well, push. Her passion for personal training was sparked. Fitness qualifications and a job at the gym followed. And then three years ago, she struck out on her own, pushing past the negativity slung at her by family. Because they're so used to, culturally, Girls don't work, they sit at home, they have their children, and if they do work, it's not ever earning your own business, it's just normal. Good work, girls. You start in one minute, resting. It's the first generation to come from overseas, so I don't know, everything's negative in their minds. But while family may have been her biggest detractors, they've also been some of her biggest supporters, lending her the money to start her business. Three, two, rest. It was really, really, really tough. I had to borrow money off my parents. I borrowed money off other family members. 
at the time we only had a little bit, I think I had like not even 50 grand and I was like, I'm going to do it. And you need like 28,000 just for like just to open your own place, DA approval. Now her sisters are her fellow trainers. Amazing. Besties, besties. <laughs> and mum, one of her clients. After a lot of heavy lifting, Dolly's boot camp has grown from just one class that was held in a park to six classes across the day in its own dedicated gym. And across a month, an average of 100 women come through here, all eager to break a sweat. She's very strong and she likes to push the girls and I love that motivation. I was a very big lady, lost a lot. I've noticed that with the other gyms, I did go, eventually I got bored and I stopped. Coming here is like coming to a second family. Dolly says 90% of her members are Muslim women, but she's not looking to be a Muslim-only gym. We wear the scarf and like we're fit and healthy, so they look at us and they're like, you know what, I want to be like these girls. So of course that's the target market we're going to attract. So far, any extra profit has been invested back into the gym, with equipment being one of the biggest expenses. In my first year, I think I spent 145000 just to get this place started. Example, that assault bike over there is uh, $1,500. My rowers are 2200 Each box is $550. Now Dolly's considering opening a second location. In the meantime, her sweetest success has been proving her doubters wrong. I think they're all shocked and gobsmacked because, wow, she really did do it, and wow, her and husband are still married. Let's go, Jay. Push, push, push. Breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth. Let's go. Work every single rep. Everything negative that they thought, I think they're just swallowing it now. You know what I mean? It's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. Excellent, ladies. Well done. Staying ahead of the pack in the fitness industry isn't easy. After 13 years in the sector, H.T. Tran realised he needed to specialise to continue to grow his business. So he combined his two passions, fitness and golf. Hi, my name is H.T. Tran and I'm Healthy Drive. I started doing personal training about 2000. You want to engage those core muscles there? Yep, feet wide again. It fell by accident. I actually came to this gym here just to be a member and they were short of staff and asked me to apply. And I got into personal training till about 2008 and GFC came, things were changing and I saw an opportunity. About 60% of my clients are now more golfers. A client might came from the internet or a referral or even a coach who has a student that wants me to work some golf performance with them. We would sit down and discuss what their goals and what their needs are and we would take through them through a screening process and find out their physical limitations and and attributes and how they like to learn. Some people like to learn visually, auditory, you know. Then I'll use 3D to capture their swing. So we take out the guesswork, find how fast they're moving, any ratios of speed. Then from then, we then write some programs to help them with their need. The technology, when I first started, I spent about $20,000. The computer, and as you know, the computer gets cheaper each year. Back then, it was more expensive. But I found that the return came back a lot quicker because you're giving yourself an extra edge using technology to teach so you can charge a little bit more. One of my clients is Chris, he's a pro golfer and he goes and compete and I sponsor him with some apparels and caps. Now I have people that are not my clients that want to buy some of the, the clothing or the caps and now I'm moving into selling some nets, the net return, which is going to be in Australia. I'm working with the US owners, so I'm going to be distributing in Australia. I subcontract sometimes uh, just to mix it up. 
Uh, I'd like to grow to the next stage where I'm going to use someone else. I'm still trying to work on some, some systems to make it a little bit more efficient to teach because if I want to bring someone in, I want to make sure I can replicate it so that it's easy to, to duplicate and make it fun. We were refugees. We escaped from Vietnam. Dad sold out his coffee business, took five brothers, mum, and a couple of sisters and came over here. I'd sometimes be harsh on myself, don't think I work hard enough. But just knowing how mum and dad, how, work, how hard they work. It's only when you ask your clients that they see from a different perspective. So you've got to learn to don't be too hard on yourself when you're working in your business. For anyone that's looking to start the business, especially in health, um, go find a mentor to train with. Go learn and share with someone that's at your same level. And maybe someone that's not as skillful for you, share it. So that way you've got someone to share, someone to learn, and someone to follow and lead with. Well, it takes more than just looking good and feeling fit to start a successful personal training business. Dinny Morris knows that. He's been a trainer for seven years. Hi, good to have you on the show. What's the best thing about running a personal training business? Uh, helping people make long-term healthy choices uh, that will stick with them for the rest of their life. And what about the biggest challenges? The biggest challenges would be marketing and uh, making sure that you get the right sort of client that is wanting those long-term health and fitness choices. Okay, do you mind sharing some of the uh, basics? Yeah, no worries. First up, you'll need to get qualified. Aspiring PTs need to complete a Certificate 3 and 4 in fitness. Some institutes offer these in express six-week formats. Then, you'll need an ABN. To register, just visit business.gov.au. Insurance is a must if you're sitting up on your own. General liability will protect you against third-party claims but you might also want to consider professional liability insurance. Then, finding a place to train is the next step. Parks are a good option. Just hop onto the Australian Business Licence and Information Service to find out if you need a permit or licence. Each state and territory is different. Write a list of the equipment you'll require. Some, like exercise mats, will need to be new, but others, like weights and bars, can be pre-loved and sourced on sites like Gumtree and eBay. It's a good idea to get a lawyer to draw up a simple contract for your client, and you might want to think about including a clause to protect you from people dropping out at the last minute or simply not paying. And with those basics, you're good to go. Remember, you can find out more information on our website. Athletes and professional sportsmen and women often struggle once their careers come to an end, but Olympic champion Michael Klim is an anomaly. He started Milk & Co with his then wife Lindy when injuries forced his early retirement and the business has gone swimmingly. Now exporting to 13 countries and recently signing a distribution deal expected to increase sales by 50% over the next 12 months. So I'm here at the headquarters of Australian skincare company Milk & Co and I'm joined by one of the founders, Olympian Michael Klim. Michael, tell us a bit about why you decided to enter the competitive skincare market. Well, um, being a swimmer, I was always exposed to chlorine and chlorinated pools and swimming outdoors, the harsh Aussie climate and, you know, generally swimmer's skin gets pretty damaged. So 
I, um, I've always been quite partial to using products and always been very, you know, fond of uh, actually looking after your skin because you have to when you're in the pool. So I had an incidental insight into skincare. So I decided to, to create a skincare product or a range of products designed by males for males. Um, then especially Australian-made products. So there's definitely an opportunity, a gap in the market. You're obviously an inbuilt ambassador yourself. How important is it for you to be the face of that product? Look, I think it's definitely helpful. It's been very helpful in opening some doors and also breaking some of the barriers about, you know, it's, it's quite okay for guys to be using skincare and looking after the skin. We have tradies, for example, using our products, which is a great attribute for our brand, knowing that, you know, guys are out there in the elements, you know, really protect the skin. And when we're talking about your products in general, what are you seeing move the most? When we actually first launched our range was the face moisturiser with an SPF 15 was our fastest moving product. But that the fact that um, you can, you know, it's a great example that skincare and grooming has evolved, that our fastest moving product is a face wash and scrub for guys. So guys aren't only washing their face, but they're scrubbing also. Wow. So um, they're certainly more educated, they know, they're savvy, they know what they want. And your baby range as well is quite popular. And tell me a bit about the names, because they're kind of unique. Like yeah, them. well actually <laughs> our, our kids had, had you know, the, the hand on in, in actually creating some of these products. And, you know, we, we created this baby range because we had kids and yeah. obviously um, as a parent you can never find anything good enough. So um, you've got Nighty Night, which is a, a calming room spray for night time. Yeah. Snotty Grotty, which is a natural decongestive room spray. Stinky Winky, that's actually a room deodorizer, which is I created for myself because nappy change time, it's not all that pleasant for, for dads. Um, yeah, it's actually our biggest part of our business. So obviously the men's range and the baby's range does well. How tricky is it with the women's range in such a competitive market? So that's probably our toughest range in terms of to penetrate the market. Not because of the products aren't as good, it's just that there is probably 20 times more competitors out there focusing more on body rather than face. So it's much easier to convert a female consumer to a body product rather than a face product. Milk has expanded globally. What areas have you seen that growth in and how did you choose those countries that you went to? Well, some have been quite incidental in terms of our, whether, whether brands perform quite well um, and that is Denmark and Scandinavia. Um, the product is performing really well. It's in all the baby stores over there, some department stores as well. So it's one of the leading brands for babies um, in, in that market. We have sort of expanded into the US and also China. So yeah, uh, featuring about 13 different countries at this point. So how much of a share of milk does the export market make compared to domestically? At the moment, it's still only around 25% the export market. So we're still very much a domestic driven business. And um, obviously we'd like that export part to, to increase. We've been going a bit over eight years and I, I feel um, probably in the last 18 months, the brand's really evolved. It's got to a level where it's very recognisable, it's got great visibility in the marketplace, great shelf space as well. And we've also got some of the best retailers um, in Australia on board from Chemist Warehouse to Coles and Woolworths, so Priceline as well. So it's, um, you know, definitely helps having those guys behind you. And are there any similarities between the sporting world and the business world? Yeah, look, I think they're um, obviously <laughs> worlds apart in a sense, but there is also um, quite a lot of... Um, my learnings that I've been able to take from sport and apply into business. You know, for me, the most important thing was probably creating a sense of team that I've got here within Milk & Co. You know, I prefer, used to perform the best in the pool when I had a great team around me. Gaining knowledge, I, always very, I was very analytical in my swimming. I used to log every stroke, almost every set, every session. 
And I think in business, you have to have knowledge, not only about your own products, but your competitors. And what advice would you have to anyone who wants to start a small business? There's so many people that sit around dinner tables and say, oh, I have this business idea and I reckon it's going to fly. And, you know, they talk about it a couple of times and never actually do it. This world revolves around ideas and innovation. So if you've got an idea, I reckon, you know, just go for it, take the plunge. That's my advice. Uh, but this, secondly, I would say make sure it's calculated as well. So it's not, uh, um, you know, it's obviously you have to take a risk, but also a calculated risk. Crawling through mud puddles, hurling over wooden beams and navigating live wires might not sound like much fun, but the rising popularity of obstacle training competitions like Tough Mudder and the Spartan Race proves plenty of Australians want to do it. And as Camille Bianchi reports, small business are embracing the trend too. Endurance events require strength and stamina, much like running a business. That's something Wayne Burns knows well. He spent the past year doing both. There's been a lot of anxiety when you're fatiguing and having to keep performing. I knew that there was going to be a lot of dark places that I would travel to. In that time the family front yard has made way for a giant obstacle course. We originally just built it as an obstacle training facility for adults because we realised there was nothing around. There's all these races, they're getting more popular but there's nowhere to actually train for them. Alright, ready, set, go. What? <laughs> but this wasn't in the plan. We were listening to adults that were coming and training and hearing that they'd like, like to bring their kids. Look at this, good work. Now mums and dads have moved over and kids are bringing in the bulk of revenue. <laughs> they can just get the tasks done without the fear factor. And they jump into it wholeheartedly, all about having fun. <laughs> School excursions, holiday courses and birthday parties they're booking out at $20 to $30 a head. Yeah. For this brand of fitness, one of the biggest hurdles is compliance. Just do it nice and slowly, turn around, make sure you've got hold of the ropes. Training on obstacles is a dangerous activity as well, so having to look into the future a little bit more about just the safety aspect of it all. Another hurdle is cost. Although Wayne saved through free marketing on Facebook and by making most of the obstacles himself, materials like timber, steel and rope don't come cheap. So far they've invested $60,000 in the business. Like many small businesses, Burns Outdoor Obstacle Training won't break even in its first year, but with 100 clients and counting through the gate every week, it's expected to turn a profit by year three. Truck driving Wayne earned a lot more money than boot camp Wayne at the moment. All right, let's keep moving. But for the Burns family, this business is about more than just turning a profit. <laughs> Us starting our healthy living was fueled by the diagnosis of our youngest son with type 1 diabetes. Being a role model for the family in general was something that I was looking for. I really wanted to change what the way that I was doing things. Now father and sons train as a team. Four competitors. As the trend for children's training gains momentum, the Burns family are targeting corporate clients, aiming to get staff off their seats and out on the course. Just keep going, get it done. It's all about the finish line. 
It wasn't easy for Andrew Lin and Hong Wen to tell their parents they were ditching their medical careers to start a small business. Their parents needn't have worried. In its first year, Clinicloud completed a funding round and secured major partnership deals in the US. Sarah Arbo has the story. They spent years studying at university before graduating as doctors. But then they decided the startup world was where they'd have the greatest impact. The things that I wanted to do in medicine, making it more efficient, making it more accessible, and using technology to disrupt it. I, I thought, you know, I developed more of a confidence myself in uh, you know, these are the kind of things I could achieve if I took a step back. Actually, I don't think I would say I left medicine. I'm still kind of in medicine. Um, just doing it in a slightly different way. 28-year-old Andrew Lin and 27-year-old Hon Weng Cheng met at a tech hackathon, both keen coders since they were teens. So naturally, they saw potential for growth in an emerging digital medicine industry and dreamt up Clinic Cloud. We decided that we needed to make a kit, very similar to a first aid kit, but with digital health devices, so that we could bring the clinic into the home. It's got a world-first digital stethoscope that connects to a phone and a Bluetooth non-contact thermometer. Not bad for a prototype created in their lounge room, which won them a Microsoft grant in 2012. Let's say I wanted to take a temperature recording. Mm -hmm. What I would do is I would tap on the uh, temperature icon. Sure. It then automatically finds and pairs with the device. And if I uh, were to tap on start recording, mm -hmm. what happens is that it takes a few seconds yep. to calibrate with the outside temperature okay. and then when you swipe it across your forehead like that, uh, within a few seconds, you we'll get your normal. body temperature. I think that's about perfect, isn't it? Correct. That's <laughs> perfectly normal. Yeah. The reading can be saved on the app and you can text or email it. It primarily works in partnership with a telemedical physician like Doctor In Demand, but you can also liaise with your family doctor. Andrew and Hon see it as an alternative to GP waiting rooms and Dr Google. To them, this is the future of healthcare with the potential of treating preventable diseases in the developing world. What we really wanted to do at ClinicCloud is drive that idea of healthcare consumerism and make people themselves better advocates of their own care. And through that, um, through technology, empower them to do so and be more equipped to do so. But getting here wasn't easy. We start off being um, making a loss, having to sink money into development. It's not easy, particularly for a startup that is uh, intermingling with uh, hardware, with software, with medical devices regulation, with uh, health data and uh, with uh, a dream to achieve artificial intelligence and what we, we needed a lot of capital and we also needed people to believe that we uh, as young doctors with um, not too much prior experience can, uh, can pull it off. Fortunately, others agreed. China-based Ping'an Ventures and tech giant Tencent came on board, providing five million US dollars in seed funding. They're gambling on the future. They're gambling that the future of healthcare is one that is patient-driven, that is based at home, one that um, is very different to what it is today. To them, ClinicCloud is at the forefront of that movement, but they expect it will take time to turn a profit. We make marginal profit on every product we sell, so every one of them has gross profit built in. It's a question of whether you invest that back into the company or not. 
Despite being Australian designed and created, ClinicCloud won't actually be available here until sometime next year. Hon and Andrew conceding the Australian market is a much more challenging one to break. Mainly because our healthcare system is pretty good. What we have in the US is a huge opportunity to improve the status quo. Though it may take time to change our reliance on face-to-face -face consultations, they're already planning new products. I think the future really is about simplifying the whole process, expanding out beyond the young parent market and into the 80% of healthcare users, which are the elderly. And that is it for the program. If you do have any questions about your small business, why not ask KPMG Enterprise? We have their expertise on hand to help. The details are on our website. And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And you can watch Small Business Secrets anytime on SBS On Demand. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll see you next time. And that is all we have time for in this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Don't forget, though, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Biz Secrets SBS or Small Business Secrets. And don't forget, there is more on our website, sbs.com.au forward slash news. You can find us there. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll speak to you soon.